Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Jenny Allen and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. We have a friend of the podcast back with us today, Pastor Richmond Wendera, and it's so good to have you. If you did not listen to his first message, it's so great to hear his entire story. But real quick, for those that it's been a little while or they never heard the first episode, Pastor, tell us just a little bit about your story. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for having me. My name is Richmond Wendera. I come from a country called Uganda. Uh, this is a small country in East Africa. About uh, 40 million people call this place home, and I am one of them. My story really uh, started as uh, an ordinary young boy uh, in a fairly large family of six siblings. I had a loving father, a loving mother. We were uh, as one, and it looked like our future was bright until I was eight years old. When I was eight years old, the unthinkable happened. My father was murdered. And he was murdered in the presence of my mom. So on that single day, it seemed like I'd lost both my parents. My father was gone physically, but my mom, she wasn't the same. See, before my father's passing, my mother was <laughs> the kind of woman you called when you're having a bad day. You know, she could talk your ear off and she had such positive energy. But after the loss of my dad, she just became the quietest person. And uh, life was to take a massive turn after our landlord kicked us out of the house, knowing that we could not afford to pay the rent. Uh, so we ended up in this place called Naguru. It was, it was nicknamed many names, but one of the other names for Naguru was the Forgotten Community. This is a, a slum so big and so wide with so many people that it's, it's even hard to describe. But when I arrived in Naguru, I looked around and I saw many of the kids were not in school. Many of the kids didn't have a place to play. Many of the kids were literally hopeless. I mean, you look at their faces and you see defeat. And I knew this was going to be my life. And it wasn't long after that that I was told, Richmond, you can no longer go to school. Um, just for context, uh, Uganda, my country, cannot afford education for its people. And so it's private education. If your parents can afford for you to go to school, good on you. Go to school, dream, become all you want to be. But if your parents or nobody is able to stand for you, no matter how much you want to go to school, no matter how gifted you are, the door is shut. And so that became my life. And uh, not just my life, but my siblings as well. Unfortunately, my mother's health was affected after my father um, passed. We did not know what it was uh, or what it, what, what kept her so, so broken for such a long time. Uh, but she just couldn't find the strength to try to find something. Uh, I do recall uh, just the, the dilemma that she was in because she was married off as a very young girl. By the time she was 25 years old, she already had six children. And uh, she never went to school. She didn't have a skill. Um, or trade, something that she could use. Uh, but I just remember her just almost like an, like a weakening person every single day. So as kids, we decided, look, we, we've got to figure this thing out. 
So that's how I ended up on the street. Like I used to go with my sister, Doreen, spend a lot of time on the street with her, pick things here, go into people's gardens. I mean, we did some crazy things. Yeah, yeah that just became my life. And until uh, malaria and other diseases began to set in, that's when the situation became very desperate. And so uh, my mother realizing that if nothing changes, we are going to die. And uh, so she went to a church, which she had never gone to church in her life. Mm. Uh, my father didn't believe in God. We were just not a church pe- people. So she ended up going to this church and because uh, she had heard they sponsor kids. And she just shared her desperate situation and poured her heart out. And uh, long story short, these people who we did not know compassion, that it was compassion, because <laughs> there's something fun about this organization called Compassion International. Um, you don't find big signposts all over the place that this is compassion, mm-hmm. this is compassion. No, you see the local church. Oh, yes. For, it took a while. Yep. <laughs> it took a while for me to know that um, that it was compassion that was sponsoring me. I thought it was the local church that was doing. Oh, love it. Uh, so that was that was beautiful. Uh, I think yeah. when when we got the news that um, our our profiles had been selected by individuals uh, abroad. And for me particularly, I was connected to a 15-year-old girl called Heather who sponsored me. And Jenny, that was the beginning of transformation and Mm. hope and light for me. I went back to school. I got my opportunity to get health checks. I just began to thrive. And at the age of 14, after hearing the gospel at the Compassion Center, I gave my life to Christ. And became the first Christian in our home. Jenny, (laughs) I give so much thanks to my sponsor and to the Lord and to all the workers that work to make me find this hope in Christ. If you could see Richmond's face when he talks, this will likely be on YouTube too, but gosh, if you're listening on the podcast, I cannot tell you how much joy it brings me to watch your joy. (laughs) Richmond, it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. I want to talk a little bit about now your life. And specifically, I want you today to pastor our people because you are a wonderful pastor. And as you all all can tell, like he's just at your heart, at your core, that's who you are and what you do. And it does feel like as, as your perspective as a pastor on the other side of the world, that there's a lot of suffering and that you are probably looking at that up close every single day. I want to talk about suffering and I want to talk about brokenness. I know so many people right now, Richmond, that are really suffering, that just are going through something unthinkable, even in my own family. Just my sister is with health issues of her son and her own health issues. It just feels like they are just, they are so discouraged. And one thing I've seen in the U.S. that may be similar in Uganda is suffering sometimes can take away your faith or erode your faith. It can make you feel. And my sister, that has not been the case. I need to be clear. She would be sad if anybody thought that. Her faith has grown in so many ways through this. But there are others that haven't. And I understand it, right? I mean, that that you begin to doubt if God is real. Has that been the case there? And what would you say to the person that feels that way? Because you have suffered so greatly, and yet you know God is real, and you're giving us your life for Him. Thank you for that question. Such a great question. I think I have wrestled with that same question. Several people have. I think many people do. 
As a matter of fact, that single question wrecks so many people's faith. And uh, it's a question we have to wrestle with. I look at suffering and I ask, why is the world like this? Will suffering ever end? And uh, what's the purpose of suffering? These questions have really um, held me uh, in many ways, uh, in some ways held me ransom. Uh, but let me, let me kind of reflect on my own path. I look back and I see that whenever God said no to me, in many ways, he was protecting me. Whenever he said yes, he was providing for me. I, I prayed for a sponsor and he said yes. There's a time I prayed to leave the community. I, it was done. It was too gray. It was too dark. I wanted to live and go somewhere else. I just didn't want to be in Nagur Islam anymore. And he said no. Mm. And I look at that and I look back now several years down and I realize when he says yes to you, he's providing. When he says no to you, be patient, wait on him, count on him. He is the faithful one. He will never deny himself. He is the faithful one. And he will be with us. And I do think of of him being with us and what that means. It looks different for every person. And even if it, it's for the same individual, it looks different all the time. And, and there is a purpose that's working itself to a particular end through this whole thing called suffering. And if we can endure just a little bit and be patient yeah. just a little okay. bit, uh, we don't know what the end will be, but we know who will be at the end. And I think that that's why in my congregation, where majority of us have known pain for a long time, you find that we are worshiping. Jenny, when you walk into our worship <laughs> session in Uganda, you wow. wouldn't believe that these are people who didn't have, have food the previous night. You wouldn't believe that at all. Yeah. We, when we are worshiping, we know how to worship God from a difficult place. Yeah. When we are praising, we jump so high, <laughs> even if our shots might be torn, we are jumping so high. There is just something, when you come to that place of seeing that the things that are out of my control, but the things that are still within my control, and things such as rejoicing and worshiping, no matter yeah. what, that shifts things for us on the inside and gives us a certain level of endurance that, that just comfort cannot give. And so, yeah, those, that's, that's my perspective, at least, on suffering. When you share the gospel with people that have suffered in such a deep way, what is their reaction? Well, so let me begin by a quote that I like so much from Gandhi. He said, some people are so hungry that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. Let me say that again. Uh, it just it ministers to me so much because it was true. Some people are so hungry that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. I, I am very aware of that when I'm going to minister to somebody. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's the caution that, that James gives. It says that if you find somebody who is hungry and you say, oh, uh, go, be well fed, I wish you well. Uh, what, what kind of right. faith is that? That's dead faith. And yeah. so it's not, it's not the case that everyone is hungry and that's what they're suffering from. Sometimes it's just there is a health challenge that's gone in their life. There's a, a sharp turn in their life they were not anticipating. And so it's just shattered somebody's whole life. There's been an accident, a fatal accident. I mean, there's, all these things can yeah. happen. But before you open your mouth, or before I open my mouth to say to somebody, look, there is hope, there is love, be strong. The first thing I want to do is to stand in their shoes and to be in their shoes with them and to yeah. be present with them. Uh, 
in our church, we call it the ministry of presence. Uh, and, and, and I've had to do that a lot when I go into a place where a three-year-old child has died. This is the only child that this lady has. And the mm. husband is no longer in the picture. And what do you say? All, all I can do is just sit there with her and just be quiet. Mm. And, and so to be present, I think that's the first thing. This, that's the ministry of, that's, that's most common in my community. You, you be present and, and allow God to minister through presence. And then, then beyond that, you say, okay, so we won't just sit here forever. I want to be able to communicate. I'll first of all understand what's going on. So the right questions really help. And, and sometimes hearing these questions immediately tells where the person is. Maybe this is the second time or third time this is happening, or it's the first time and that shifts context. And so I would say that um, ministry in my community has required first the ministry of presence. Secondly, giving. One has to give. Without giving, the message doesn't come across. Jenny, I am now pastoring the very church that I was. <laughs> I, I can't even complete that sentence without just busting out with joy. I am pastoring the very church I walked into as an eight-year-old boy. Oh, I have chills everywhere. It's okay. so good. And now I'm pastoring cry. this church. It is, <laughs> it is only possible. Yeah. With God. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm pastoring this church and it's still right in the middle of an incredibly large slum. And uh, the crisis that we face uh, continues to be a problem for us. And, and so on, in some cases, um, we are seeing a situation which is a little bit more complicated. So yeah. we're having a lot of people breaking through from poverty. Uh, but at the same time, the battle continues, if that makes sense. Things have improved. But if you look at where we are right now, if you put a pin at my church and then you uh, put, go about a two and a half mile radius around the church, generally it would break your heart. There's over yeah. 200 brothels, over mm. 200 brothels. The average age of the girls working in the brothels is 16. Uh, and uh. people have asked me, Richmond, why are you desperately passionate for girls to go to school? Why are you desperately passionate for girls to have somebody strong to hold their hand and navigate this difficult life? This is exactly why. Whenever I see a girl who is at school going age and they're not in school, I yeah. can predict with 90% accuracy what's going to happen to them at 13, at 16, and at 18. That's all, if there's a particular mm. trend. And you yeah. see these girls, just their future is being cut away from them. And yeah. they will, you see, they have all these dreams, but they will never reach their future yeah. uh, unless something changes. And so and that's just why I'm passionate about yes. making sure that these girls and boys uh, get plugged into an, um, a kind of a support system as I was plugged into. But, but yeah, so I pastor this church. Um, I'm, it's now my joy and my turn to welcome these children in and to tell them they're loved. And to try to be the father uh, that they don't have in their life. So for me, one of the things that I have learned from reflecting on my own life and reflecting on life in general, and also teachings of scripture, like, like, like the epistle of James and how it emphasizes how we are to live. Uh, the one line that I'd like to leave with everybody who's listening is this. What does it mean to live 
simply so that others can simply live. Mm. What does that mean and what does it look like? If we lean into that sentence, we find that actually that sentence quite summarizes the, the, the book of James. Because James is now writing to this kind of tribes of Israel and he's saying to them, this is how you are to live. Yes, there is a time for trial that you, and he starts there, that there's going to be trial, there's going to be testing, there's going to be all of this. Then there's going to be a position where you have to have self-control and control the tongue. But in as far as your heart and where your heart is, your heart must be broken for the poor. In fact, he declares very strongly in James 1.27 that the religion that God our Father accepts not what you accept or why I accept not the religion that God our Father accepts is this to take care of the orphan and the widow in their distress and to prevent oneself from being polluted by the world yeah I mean this this declaration it drives me it's this idea that we are to ask God to break our heart for the things that break his heart essentially building our lives on Christ. Yeah. And so I've I right now uh, Jenny I have a degree in in accounting okay I've gone on to do my master's degree in spiritual formation and discipleship I could live today I could live the slums today and go and try to find something elsewhere but then as I think about that I I consider this what what's going to happen to this this is uh, as as Jesus once described uh, a people who are lost, are people without a shepherd, are people who are desperate. They're whispering all kinds of things in the night. Uh, where is God? And they're asking and looking for hope. And, and if I am a torchbearer, what does that mean? And so, uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's what really drives a lot of what I'm doing right now. It drives my passion for girl education. It drives my passion to bring food to those who are desperate. It drives my passion for the gospel because ultimately uh, the gospel is the hope it's the hope that we all desperately need and i think if we think about then what that means to the church in the west you know i've i've come to the united states uh, several times and i am blown away i am just blown away with how gifted and how blessed and how immeasurably and exceedingly blessed this nation is See, I, uh, as we speak now, we are dealing with a global food crisis, a massive global food crisis. It is so critical that what's going on that I was shocked in my last visit to the United States. None of yeah. this was in the news. None of this was in the news. Mm. And I began to ask myself, this is a different one. And then I visited some of the stores here and the shelves are full. Yeah. I'm like, what, what is this? What is this? Because like, back yeah. in Uganda... It is so crucial. We had a massive heat wave that came from Western Kenya, sweeping across Uganda. Mm. We had our crops die in the garden. Mm. We're having people who are now having to stay in their gardens for as long as they can to try to prevent people from coming into their gardens. Everyone who planted beans or, uh, or, or corn, all that died. It's mm. people who planted root tubers like, like cassava and potatoes. That's what survived. So anyone who has that kind of garden is protecting that with their life. At the same time, our government has not uh, improved uh, or at least adjusted its perfect market economy. So people sell to whoever has the money they want. Yeah. And so we have a lot of uh, people from South Sudan and people from Somalia 
who have a lot of support from either United Nations or IMF or those because of the civil wars there. And so they are willing to buy most of the, the, the food from Uganda. And, and the locals are just been looking around like there is even nothing to access. And so it, it is a it's a multifaceted problem. But but Jenny, the problem is this a lot of of, of the faces that people see who are suffering through this is adult faces. What people mm. are not asking is where are the children? Mm. What's happening to the children? And Jenny, I am I am in Uganda. I know what's happening to the children. Yeah. We are seeing them die on our watch. Mm. Mm. And so when I come to the States and I see this, and I'm like, guys, open your eyes, look beyond the borders of the United States and ask the question, yes. what does this mean for me? And so I, I believe that that when we consider that, we will see uh, if collectively we can consider what this means for the church, we will unleash the full power of the church, the full yes. power, the full force of the church and hope will rise at every place. Light will come <laughs> to every dark room. And so, yeah, so well, Jenny, I'm, I'm very excited about what, what this could be. I want to say because of you, how easy it is to say yes to supporting this work because you are leading on the ground in such a beautiful and sacrificial way. And so when you watch somebody do that, all you want to do is get behind them and just say, yes, like, what do you need? And so guys, this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to go to the show link and I want you to click on sponsor a kid. That is what we're going to do. And guys, last year when Pastor Wendera was with us, so many kids were sponsored. It was so beautiful. And we just believe in this work. And we know that this work changes lives. I've been on the ground with many ministries. And I can tell you, Compassion's work is exactly like Pastor Wendera says. He is the pastor on the ground and he is able to see the need and he is able to meet the need with the help of compassion. And so it's such a beautiful model. In fact, compassion doesn't stay forever on the ground in places. They build sustainable communities and then they they move out. But in Pastor Wendera's situation, I mean, they're in one of the darkest places in Uganda. And so we get to partner with them and we get to partner with them in a beautiful way. And so the, the kids that you are going to sponsor are kids in the vicinity of Pastor Wendera. And so he will actually know these kids. He will be serving these kids. And I just, I love that that's a part of this story as well. So yes, what would you add to that before we go, Pastor Wendera? Well, let me begin by saying thank you. Most of the people that are following you, Jenny, responded last time. And they were able to come alongside very desperate yeah. children and hold their hands. And for me, there's no sight more beautiful than that. When a child thinks they're alone, and then someone walks up to them and says, no, you're not alone. When your child feels like yeah. they're unloved, a person walks up to them and says, no, you're not unloved, you are loved. When a child feels invisible and unseen, and you walk up to a child and say, you are seen, that, that's precious. And Jenny, that really is my story. I felt unloved. I felt invisible. I felt unwanted until Heather walked up and said, you are loved. You are sin, you are wanted. And that, that healed me. It, it went in the deepest part of my heart. And that's why um, I am strong today. I'm serving the Lord today. And I think that a lot of what God requires for, of us is, is not impossible because in the end, He's the one who does it through us. And so availability and obedience and a little bit a dose of love, that together 
can change the world, not just for the child, but for the child's entire family and send singing and dancing in homes that have, have known darkness and sadness for most of their lives. And so, yeah, what God calls us to do, He enables us to do. It is such a gift and a joy to partner with Compassion over the last few years here with the Made for This podcast. And I have seen their work up close and personal this year when my husband and I went to Northern Uganda with the Compassion team. And what you're doing isn't just changing that one family. Compassion really gets on the ground and they serve the entire community through the local church, which is a big deal to Jenny and I. And so what I want you to do right now is to pull out your phone, open up a text message, and send the word Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E, to the number 83393. You're gonna get a text back with a picture of a kiddo who is waiting for a sponsor and a link to sponsor that kiddo. You guys have already stepped up beyond what we could ever dream and it has changed lives. Our goal for this year is to see 1,000 kids in Uganda sponsored. You can also go to compassion.com slash made for this and you can see their sweet faces and choose a boy or a girl or a birthday that means something to you. For my boys, um, we sponsor three little boys and all of them have the same age as my boys. And so it's an easy way to connect with them, to relate to them. And all of these kiddos you can see at compassion.com slash made for this. As a bonus, if you sponsor today while you're listening, Compassion will send you a gift in the mail. So you will get a copy of Jenny's book, Find Your People, just to say thank you. We believe in the local church. We believe in ministries that support the local church. And Compassion's work is real. And over 80% of what we give Compassion goes directly to the sponsored child through their local church. Thank you so much for getting behind this with us. This is life-changing for so many kids this Christmas season, and the impact that it has on these communities is something that we may never see until the other side of heaven. So one more time, open up a text message on your phone, send the word Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E, to the number 83393. You're going to get a text back with a kiddo's picture who is waiting for a sponsor. And today, if you say yes, just as a thank you, Compassion is gonna send you a copy of Jenny's book just in time for Christmas. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 